This is Bill Woods up here in Sun Valley, Arizona. I'm wanting to wish you a very Merry Christmas. I know that uh, some people get all oh, Christmas again and all that, but praise the Lord, we're having Christmas. If you ask the average American child, what does Christmas mean? You'll probably get a variety of answers like Santa Claus or Rudolph or presents, uh, things like that. The average adult will say, well, wild parties, time off from work, alcohol, heavy bills to pay off, expensive presents that we, we've charged, football, nostalgia, loneliness, all these different things. Most people, young or old, don't think about Christ coming and the wonderful privilege God's provided for us to be heirs in his kingdom. Galatians 4, 1 through 7 says, Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father sets. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that we could adopt a, he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, you're no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. We had a teenager in our church at Deer Valley, uh, Nazarene, who was the only child of a very wealthy man. His mother had died. His father had been killed in an accident, leaving all of his wealth to this young man. But the problem for the teenager was he couldn't collect his inheritance until he turned 21. Provision was made for his care, but his fortune lay there just out of his reach. He had no advantage over other teens at school, even though he technically was very rich. He couldn't enjoy that wealth until he reached the specified age. That's exactly the situation that Paul described in Galatians chapter 4, 1 through 3. He says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father said, and that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But the good news of Christmas is found in Galatians 4.4, 4, but when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law. What does Christmas mean? It means that Christ fulfilled the necessary requirements so you and I can now claim our inheritance through Christ Jesus. Christmas means prophecy was fulfilled, making good the promises that God had made to us. Unlike heathen gods, you can count on God fulfilling his prophecy and keeping his promises. Prophecy was fulfilled about where he was to be born. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, 
are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are fr from the distant past. In, in Luke chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. Again, prophecy was filled when the circumstances of his birth are about the circumstances. And Isaiah 7:14 says, All right, then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Prophecy was fulfilled about his royal lineage. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it says, And through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. God was talking to Abraham at that time. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 says, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. It means he was born the heir to Israel's throne. God promised an heir to Israel's throne. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. He will reign forever. Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. You know, England's royal family has held England's throne for 1,500 years, but will one day pass away. Christ's throne and Christ's kingdom will last forever. He wants us to share his kingdom and rule with him. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, it says, If we endure hardships, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Christmas means joy. Joy has come to the world. The angels rejoiced at his coming. The shepherds rejoiced at his coming. Simeon and Anna rejoiced at the coming of the Messiah. When we understand the true meaning of Christmas, we will rejoice too. This world needs something to rejoice about, but most of them will miss the true meaning of Christmas because they just don't understand. God has made himself understandable if we will pay attention. There's a story from the famous Danish philosopher from the mid-1800s. He was a Christian theologian named Sorian Kierkegaard. It's a familiar story that's been rewritten many times over the years in different forms, and yet it's still relevant today. In fact, I think I've seen versions of this story on Marty's Hallmark TV channel. 
Kierkegaard wrote, A prince wanted to find a maiden suitable to be his queen. One day while running an errand in the local village for his father, he passed through a poor section. As he glanced out the window of the carriage, his eyes fell upon a beautiful peasant maiden. During the ensuing days, he often passed by the young lady and soon fell in love. But he had a problem. How would he seek her hand? He could, could order her to marry him, but even a prince wants his bride to marry him freely and voluntarily and not through coercion. He could put on his most splendid uniform and drive up to her front door in a carriage drawn by six horses. But if he did this, he would never be certain that the maiden loved him or, or was simply overwhelmed with all the splendor. The prince came up with another solution. He would give up his kingly robe. He moved into the village, entering not with a crown, but with the garb of a peasant. He lived among the people, shared their interests and concerns, and talked their language. In time, the maiden grew to love him because of who he was and because he loved her first. This very simple, almost childlike story is what John describes in John chapter 1.14. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. God came and lived among us. He had to reveal himself to us in an understandable way, and this is precisely what Jesus did. He became flesh, just like you and me. He made himself understandable. Then Christmas means a Savior was provided. He comes as a ransom. Mark 10:45. For even the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, does that term ransom mean that Satan got payment to release sinners? Absolutely not. Satan's a thief and a liar, and God would not be blackmailed by such a scoundrel. If anyone got payment, it was God. The only payment received was man's redemption from sin. A ransom is something that's paid to provide for the release of someone who is held captive. Jesus paid our ransom to free us from sin, from death, and from hell. All through the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are found God's requirements for sacrifices. In Old Testament times, God commanded the Israelites to make animal sacrifices for substitutionary atonement. That is, an animal's death took the place of a person's death, death being the penalty for sin. Remember, the, it sounds kind of gory sometimes back there about all the bloodshed and all that, but it was a, an object lesson to let human beings know, let us know, how terrible sin is and what the consequences of sin is. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Exodus 29.36, we are instructed each day you must, or they were instructed, each day you must sacrifice a young bull as an offering for the atonement of sin. God demands holiness. 
1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, You must be holy because I am holy. God's law demands holiness. We can't give God full holiness because of the sins we commit. Therefore, God demands satisfaction of his law. In the Old Testament sacrifices, to, uh, that were made to him satisfied the requirements. This is where Jesus comes in. Hebrews chapter 9, 12 through 15 says, With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse God, people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences through, uh, from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalties of sins that they had committed under that first covenant. Romans 8, 3, and 4 says the law of Moses was unable to save us because the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Clearly, Jesus paid the ransom for our lives to God. That ransom was his own life, the shedding of his own blood, a sacrifice beyond any sacrifice ever made before or since. Due to his sacrificial death, every person on earth has the opportunity to accept that gift of atonement and to be forgiven by God. Without Christ's death, God's laws would still need to be satisfied. By That would be by our own deaths. He came to save us from sin. Matthew one twenty one said, And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Christ is here to help you. In Luke 19.10 it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Boy, what a Christmas present. You're lost today. Jesus can help you. He can find you and bring you to a right relationship with God. You know, millions of people get depressed during this season and suicide rates increase. A right relationship with Christ can change that. Let yourself be found by Christ, your Savior. We need to make room for him. We think about the fact that nobody had room for Joseph and Mary when Jesus was born. He had to be born in a stable or, or a cave. We think about how horrible it was that no one took them in. That's what you need to do is take him into your life. Wally was a big boy for his age 
seven years old, everyone wondered what role the teacher would give him in the Christmas play, especially considering that he was also a slow learner. Maybe he could pull the curtain. To everyone's surprise, the teacher gave Wally a role of the innkeeper. Of course, Wally was delighted. He had to learn just one line. There is no room in the inn. And he had that down in no time. The night came for the program. The parents took their places. Every seat in the auditorium was filled. The children came in singing, Oh, come all ye faithful. The lights dimmed. A hush fell on the audience. The curtain opened on scene one. Mary and Joseph entered the stage and walked up to the end. Please, sir, my wife is not well. Could we have a room for the night? Wally was ready for his line. He'd rehearsed it all night. He began, there is, and he hesitated. He started over again, there is, and again his mind went completely blank. Everyone was embarrassed for him, but poor Wally just didn't know what to do. Joseph thought he would improvise and started walking away toward the stable or stage on stage left. Seeing him walking away, Wally in desperation called out, Look, there's plenty of room at my house. Just come on home with me. You know, that's the reaction every one of us ought to have when we find out Jesus came to seek and save us from sin. Christmas means Satan would be defeated. Christ came to destroy the works of Satan. 1 John 3, 8 says, But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning from the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. By dying in our place, Christ destroyed Satan's works. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, and the Son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. You don't have to be bullied by Satan anymore because Jesus Christ came at Christmas time to pull his teeth. And you know, a lion seeking whom he may devour, like Peter described him as, has a hard time if all it can do is gum its, its uh, food. Christ removes Satan's we weapons. In Luke eleven twenty one and 22, For when a strong man like Satan is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe. Until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. Satan plans for each one of you to end in hell. Jesus said, not over my dead body. You won't end in hell if you repent of your sins and make a 180 degree turnaround in your life and let Jesus Christ have control. Christmas means peace in our hearts. The angel said in Luke 2:14, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. You know, when you belong to Jesus Christ, you can have peace no matter what you face. Some of you who have battled cancer or hepatitis or some other dread disease can know what I'm saying. In 1555, Nicholas Ridley was burned at the stake because of his witness 
for Christ. The night before Ridley's execution, his brother offered to stay with him in the prison cell to be an assistant and a comfort. Nicholas declined the offer, saying he wanted to go to bed and sleep as quietly as ever he did in his life. Because he knew the peace of God, he could rest in the strength and everlasting arms of his Lord and meet his Savior the next day. So can we. You know, Psalms 4, 8 says, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, O Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. Uh, there's so many people today that are so frightened about COVID and so frightened about, you know, life in general and the crime and the Black Lives Matter and all these things. We don't need to have fear like that because fear does not come from God. It comes from the devil. And so we too can say, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. Praise God. Christmas means God has made a way to heaven for you and for me. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, I know there are some churches and, and some cults that are saying, you know, there's a lot of different roads to heaven, and, and all we have to do is live a good life, and we can maybe end up there. I want you to know there's not a lot of good roads to heaven. There's only one, and that's Jesus Christ, and you need to accept him as your Lord and Savior if you intend to have your sins forgiven and if you intend to, to get to heaven. I'll ask again, what does Christmas mean? Well, all that I've told you today is what Christmas means and more. And therefore, we can say joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you help each one that's listening to this podcast today to realize that uh, Christmas is, is more than just, you know, tinsel and trees and lots of good food and, and parties and presents. Christmas is a time when God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever, me and you and whoever else hears this message, uh, will, will accept him as their personal savior, will not perish but have everlasting life. And I pray today, God, you'll make yourself real to each one that's heard this message and that we will not miss the meaning of Christmas we can celebrate some of the festivities, but we don't want to forget that you are the meaning of Christmas. And I pray, God, that you'll help us that we might be able not only to draw close to you as, as ourselves, but, Lord, to help others see the importance of accepting Christ as their Savior, too. And now, Lord, we thank you for what you've done. We praise you because you are our Savior. And we just ask, God, that you'll help us that we might draw close to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, Merry Christmas. I know the next several weeks we'll be talking more about what Christmas means, but I want you to realize that it's more than what the world thinks it is. It's knowing that we can become part of God's family, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Praise God. If you want to get in touch with me, again, my email address is lowercase rev wmwwoods at gmail.com and my post office box number is 4031 Sun Valley, Arizona 86029 God bless you all. 
and we'll talk to you later.